if we're not telling people the truth, then it's easy for them to start thinking, oh yeah, this, the traffic's so bad, the drone's going to make it really fast, it's going to make it really green. But what we've found is the reporting around these case studies, or reporting around the trials in particular, has led to some misconception. Not everything coming out of the drone industry is that honest. This is the National Health Executive Podcast, bringing you views, insight and conversation from leaders across the health sector. Presented by Louis Morris. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Angela Smith, who is a research fellow at the University of Bournemouth, and Dr. Andy Oakey, a research fellow at the University of Southampton. I was going to start this by saying we're here to inform people, but I'd like to think the NHE podcast informs people all the time, to be honest. But maybe more so today than others. Today, we're talking about NHS drone trials, and I'm here with Angela and Andy. And I guess we'll start with giving the listeners a brief overview of what you've been doing for the past few years in regards to NHS drone trials? Yeah, so um, we're, we're from the eDrone uh, Research Project. So it's an EPSRC-funded uh, project looking at um, how drones can be used as part of mixed-mode fleets um, for, for logistics so deliveries within the NHS. What have you found that listeners might be most interested in? Is it because I've got an inkling, it's some misinformation that perhaps some people have been led astray um, so we'd like to explain that for me. Angela, I'll go to Angela for this one. Yeah, sure. So we've obviously found lots of interesting things. Um, so the eDrone project has been focused on um, NHS case studies. Um, but what we've found is the reporting around these case studies, or reporting around the trials in particular, has led to some misconceptions about what those trials are achieving and also the future benefits of drones. So as the project's gone on, we found out probably a lot more we've developed a much bigger evidence base about the role of drones in NHS logistics and potentially wider logistics systems. I think that's kind of what we think we're here to talk to you about today, because that's where our concern is, is that these misconceptions continue to spread. And we'd like to kind of, you know, put the real evidence out there. Where does this misinformation come from, do you think? How did it start? What have people been doing wrong and what should they be doing instead? I think where it's originally come from, it there's two strands. I think the first strand is a bit of lazy reporting in the media. So if you're a drone company and you're running a trial um, for NHS logistics, sort of, so you might be moving blood or just trying out your drone technology, you're not running an actual service, but you'll put out a press release and that'll get picked up by the media. And it's not really filtered. It's not looked at critically. It's just taken for what they're saying. So they obviously have their own agenda of what they'd like to put out. But in reality, there's a lot more to it. So that's the first part. And I think the second part is this desire to show drones in a positive light. And that's kind of come partly from a wider desire to use drones in logistics and to show them using, you know, doing work for the NHS gives a good impression. So there is this sort of slight bias. We've called it the Trojan horse, really. It's this, if we show drones doing great things, then people will accept them for wider use in the longer term. And that's ultimately what um, UK government agencies like to achieve. And prior to this research, Andy, I'll go to you on this one. Prior to this research, was there an evidence base for this type of thing? If we actually look back at our original project bids, we, we were sort of sucked into this rhetoric of um, drones being like the next big thing. Um, so the, there's, the, the, the original idea was very much, OK, we'll look at where where's best to use them, um, kind of with this positive spin thinking, oh, yeah, that'd be really good. And as we've kind of gone into it, 
we've learned more uh, and understood how um, okay the, there's a lot more than meets the eye and we, we've kind of understood uh, a lot of this mis misinformation that's that's happened um, and particularly um, from a more academic perspective it's kind of well documented that drones are following almost like the the typical sort of hype cycle of um, technology so the idea that you get the overexcited like press releases and things like that and then it gets an awful lot of attention and then it's it kind of crashes down and then levels out a bit later but yeah we get this uh similar sort of thing in drones but there's kind of this as angela says this this um need for them to succeed uh, and when you start throwing like the nhs name in with it you get an overly positive um skew on everything and before we do go on to the actual um, research. I believe you did some case studies with the public for this. What were some of the assumptions that you had that they had about the actual benefits? Because obviously we all think drone trials, it's more environmentally friendly, it's not cars, exhaust, emissions and stuff like that. Was it only that or did people think this had broader horizons, should we say? Yeah, and no, I think you summed it up pretty well there. This assumption that um, because there's no exhaust emissions, that it's going to be cleaner and greener than vans. But the reality is that drones are quite small um, and they have limitations, which I'm sure Andy will come on to in a short while. So as part of EDRO, we have done um, quite an extensive survey. We've um, spoken to over 500 people. And through that data, I mean, it, what we've been doing is we've been showing people what the drones might look and sound like using VR and then asking them some quite reflective questions. So we're trying not to prompt them on what to think. But nevertheless, they come up with some general themes that reoccur. So you have the theme around, oh, this will be greener, this will be great, or this will be great for urgent medical deliveries. And something that pops up a lot of times is this idea that they might be used for moving organs or urgent things that need to be moved. And it, you know, it's a solution. In reality, those things aren't backed up by evidence, but you can see how that's a nice narrative for people to pick up on and how it can kind of form into the public consciousness. I think it is well, a good example of this sort of thing is, um, I mean, in London, there's a project looking at moving goods between two hospitals um, and it, it's claimed that they're, they're 95 minutes apart driving. Um, and if you do a quick Google, they're actually only about a mile and a half apart, um, which is in good traffic, about 15 minutes. Um, and worst case, you can walk it in 38 minutes. So it's kind of this is where these ideas are coming from. If we're not telling people the truth, then it's easy for them to start thinking, oh yeah, this, the traffic's so bad, the drone's gonna make it really fast, it's gonna make it really green. And I mean, realistically, uh, if you start throwing it onto a bike or an EVA and it's actually as good or, or better if you can start consolidating, so. Yeah, and how did your research challenge these assumptions then? What approach did you use to challenge the data and the assumptions that the public had? So there are multiple strands. So because this is a three-year project and we've got four, four universities working on it and it's quite multidisciplinary, we've come at it from quite a different set of angles. So um, we've undertaken a series of stakeholder interviews. So we've interviewed an awful lot of NHS practitioners, people involved in the movement um, who, whose role requires the movement of time-sensitive items like um, diagnostic samples, um, blood, medicines, things like that. And through that, we've come to understand what that need is and how they operate and start to explore what the potential role for drones is. So that's that's one side of it. 
And then the other side is perhaps more technical is, is the detailed modelling that um, University of Southampton and UCL have been doing together. And I'm going to let Andy tell you about that because... Uh, the, the detailed modelling um, covers quite a sort of myriad of things. Um, so it's it, it's kind of trying to address some of these misconceptions that have gone into previous academic research. Um, so things like uh, costings, um, things about how how much um, each drone can take uh, in terms of payload. So you have to use a realistic sized drone. Um, and then things like, um, OK, where can we fly? So can we fly in a straight line? Do we, do we have to go around the houses a bit? And so um, it might be a case of that your your drones actually need to fly two to three times longer than a direct path um, to to make sure that they're avoiding these sort of high risk areas. Because in essence, if you fly over the top of someone, you're you're putting them at risk without them directly um, having permission, uh, giving you permission, if you like. Um, whereas, I mean, if you compared it to a road, I suppose um, you just wouldn't you wouldn't step into the road. Um, because then you're putting yourself at risk. Um, so the idea is, yeah, you, you fly around to avoid the this, this safety issue. Um, and yeah, just touching on the cost there, I think a lot of a lot of studies are very much okay. Let's compare just the say the propulsion, so the electricity cost and things like that. But there's so many more factors to consider. So drones are not necessarily completely autonomous you've got to have someone to help service them you've got to have um, either a, a remote pilot um, or operator monitoring multiple drones but there is still someone in that system and a lot of studies are not accounting for this um, so that that's kind of the the background to, to why we started this fairly hefty chunk of modeling now this may be a, quite a silly question but i'm going to ask it anyway while i'm here I saw something when I was looking into this about the Forsetti model. Now, could you explain what that is? So it's technically a suite of tools. Um, now, Forsetti is not only a Nordic god um, of, I think it's of justice, um, but uh, no, it stands for Freight Optimization Tool with Risk, Energy and Mixed Mode Transport Integration. Um, so quite a mouthful. So Forsetti is the, the neat way to say it. And essentially what that's doing is taking um, some uh, energy and risk optimized uh, drone paths or um, flight flight paths um, and some uh, environmentally modeled um, van routes and then essentially combining all of those and given a certain set of input objectives spitting out what is the best combination of drones vans bikes uh, to serve a given area uh, for in this case um, delivering pathology or, or diagnostic specimens so we've talked about some of the overestimations maybe of some of previous research. What are the actual environmental benefits of drones then? What can they do? I mean, in terms of environmental benefits, um, it's it's quite sporadic. Um, our modelling is actually just suggesting that um, you can get very limited savings where you have a site that's perhaps quite isolated. Um, but then we also need to start thinking about, OK, what what other vehicles are going in that direction? Um, some of the, the bigger insights more uh, came more from the fact that cycling was chosen a lot more when we started to look at that particular environmental objective. Um, but yeah, as we start to consider the other objectives of cost and potentially transit time, um, we can start to see that, okay, if we have a, this sort of future 
operation with uh, drones going everywhere, it's going to cost you about £11 uh, per delivery. Um, and if it's just drone, uh, just vans going everywhere, you're you're talking just under a fibre delivery, which is is quite a substantial change uh, from that that existing method. I should probably just chip in there as well that um, there's the issue of size of load. Um, if you think about how much a drone can carry, um, so when we talk about these drones and they're they're quite large, the ones that have been used in trials, they've got a five meter wingspan and I'd say what what forty liter capacity, Andy. Um, uh, yeah, so yeah. maybe twenty twenty five something like that. Yeah. It... yeah, so that that's not a huge amount um, to be able to carry, but. When it comes to vans, obviously, you can carry a lot more. And when we were doing our observational work and also the data that we've looked at from um, routes and, and requirements of NHS sites, there's a need to move other things. Um, so, yeah, if it's all very well saying, yes, you might be able to sort of save time and possibly some emissions. But if there's going to be a need for other vehicles to visit that site anyway, then those benefits of loss have been lost and there may be better ways of doing it. And I'm sure Andy was going to come on to consolidation, which is my kind of favourite thing anyway. So I, you, You'll have a bit of consolidation. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. So if you combine these these services, um, you, you can really get that bigger saving because let's, let's take um, patient transport uh, as an example. So chances are, so from Southampton, uh, there are patient transport vehicles, so just routine, uh, non-urgent movement. So you've got Mrs. Bloggs, who's out in the New Forest, she's getting a lift um, to the, the Southampton General Hospital, and chances are she's living maybe within a couple of miles of a, a GP surgery that also has samples that need to go to the uh, the hospital. So if it's a case of right, let's try and combine these these two services, it, it's there's potential huge savings here. Um, so some of our our modelling suggested that emissions could be cut by about twelve percent, costs by about sixteen percent just by combining these fleets. Now, obviously, there are limitations around, um, OK, how do the timings and things work? But if you look at other fleets potentially as well, so um, Southampton City Council has a lot of own account vehicles. So there's possibly scope to help collaborate there as well. And at the same time, you can save the council a bit of money as well, um, which is is very welcomed when local councils are also struggling with money. So um, definitely worth thinking about. And yeah, just to just to touch on what Angela said about the cost being very much based on okay, these are the the exact payloads. Um, there are other things being moved. If it's a case of okay, we, we're going to move just that payload, um, but we can't for whatever reason. We we need some sort of contingency. Um, so I mean, Storm Isha, Aisha, Aisha, Aisha um, came through the other day, and. Yeah, the wind wind speeds were sort of 20, 25 meters per second. Um, and realistically, if you've got a 10 meters per second wind tolerance on your drone, it's only 80% of the time that you're actually able to fly. So that's that's 20% where, okay, we might need a van, we might need a taxi or something to that effect. And that's all going to push the cost up as well. That was going to be something I wanted to touch on, actually, because... Just, it, it might seem obvious, but just as an entity, as a structure, a van is much more robust than a drone, it seems to me. So reliability must be, you know, quite a big difference, as you mentioned, though. 
Yeah, so I mean, fundamentally, you are limited um, by sort of the power to weight ratios and aerodynamics of your your aircraft. And until sort of um, battery energy densities really improve, um, it's really unlikely that you're going to get to the level where you're saying, right, we can guarantee our drone is going to be able to go. Um, I mean, I know that there's there's work going on to improve um, the reliability of drones, but it's to fundamentally say, yeah, we can fly in. I mean, in the Hebrides, it was 40 meters per second at the weekend. If we can guarantee that, then, I mean, I think uh, you're going to be a wealthy, wealthy man. <laughs> I mean, if I can just chip in there, um, obviously we're on, I think we're on the Storm, storm Janus today, but... Um... No, we're on Janus now. <laughs> <laughs> but you, in your work, Andy, you've actually kind of calculated percentages over historical weather patterns. So I don't know whether yeah. you're able to share one. I'm, I'm kind of trying to think what that was. I, I thought it was in the 70 odd percent of how often a drone would be able to fly using historical weather. You're, you're lost yeah, to know so that, what the figure is. that was the 80%. Um, but I mean, so that, that, that's with a 10 metres per second wind tolerance. Um, but if you compare that, so over the same weather period, um, I did a, did the same analysis for hovercrafts. Um, so between um, the mainland and the Isle of Wight, there's a hovercraft. In that same period, 95.4% of the timetable services actually ran, um, given it wrote, I think it's twice, twice every half hour, something like that. Um, they're, they're every half an hour. They? Every half hour, there you yeah. go. Yeah, so mm. two an hour is... Uh, quite uh, quite impressive and quite a high level to match and when you think the hovercraft is actually probably quite vulnerable it's still a big target to, to match so key takeaways for this and i should say I actually mentioned small plug small plug for the national health executive magazine which andy and angela both feature in the next one the publication of that should dovetail quite nicely with the publication of this podcast so by the time you're listening to this it should already be out so stop listening go and read it and start listening again and then we can we can come back but what are the key takeaways for listeners from this research? What would you say people need to know? Yeah, I suppose the reason why we've come to to the National Health Executive to speak to you is partly to overcome this issue of misinformation and also to draw um, executives, um, NHS executives' attention to the fact that we've got this big evidence base that's been generated over three years. So one, we'd like people to be aware that, they, you know, what you know to be alert to misinformation and two we'd like you to kind of delve into the evidence base contact us ask us questions um feedback if there's anything you don't agree with we we would love that interaction it's often quite hard for non-health researchers to interact with people in health um, and we know that from the difficulties sometimes getting people to um, take part in our study we have got a sort of a few main points about kind of things to think about when you're reading or thinking about drone deliveries and the reporting around it. And some of those questions that you need to ask, things like, is there really a need for speed? Um, so we recognise that drones can deliver um, quicker than some modes. How much difference that fast delivery will make to any services needs to be considered. And the second point, which is my favourite, is really about consolidation. Consolidation is likely to be cheaper and greener than using a drone's. Um, and there's an awful lot of transport being used by the NHS, which is on the network right now. I think we need to understand what that transport is, what it's doing, and have perhaps a better general understanding so we can all tap into it potentially. Then is the drone actually up to the job? You know, Andy's outlined some of the weather limitations, but also there's also capacity. There's also things about where they can land. Um, so you need to think about those things. 
I've mentioned time savings, but if you look at the whole practice, so if you look at um, not just the final journey leg, there are often time savings that can be found elsewhere within a system, not just in terms of transport. Um, and finally, think about that cost. Um, you need to take a holistic assessment of the whole service cost and think about whether the cost is worth it. And it might well be, but it, it needs careful consideration. So those are kind of my, my main points, really. But do delve into our evidence, do contact us if um, and do read the article. Yeah, I kind of second all of um, what Angela says uh, there. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd just kind of like to add that um, not everything coming out of the drone industry is that honest. Um, and yeah, just be very aware of that. Um, and I mean, there are some fantastic innovations out there and no doubt some of them have a place in certain situations. You've got to really dig into it um, to, to make sure you really understanding where that situation is. Yeah, and we've had key takeaways there, and I'm, this isn't a question directed at anybody in particular, but now we're coming towards the end of the podcast. What would you advise best to the back of this that health leaders do with this? What should they do? What, should, what action should they take? What next, essentially? I think what I'd really like to see is honest reporting from trials so that we know exactly what they found out. And I do believe that trials are really important to understand how technology works and where it has a role in society. But at the moment, I don't think we're seeing quite enough in terms of transparency and what's been found out by doing these trials. I think that's what we'd, we'd like like to know that. It's often public money that's funded them. So that would yeah. be my takeaway. Yeah, and I think um, just to build on that, if you have better reporting, it's a lot easier to actually learn from what, what was actually understood uh, rather than what people think was understood. So if I say, oh, I moved 10 tonnes of cargo, and it made the NHS fifty thousand, I don't know, um, fifty thousand pounds saving or whatever, um, and that's completely false. That's not going to help anyone because everyone will think, right? Yeah, let's go straight for that cargo. When it might be that there's another cargo that is superbly uh, suited for whatever use case it is. Um, so yeah, I, th I think honest reporting is is really key. So transparency is the word of the day. Transparency, definitely. And that's been the National Health Executive Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. You've been listening to the National Health Executive Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe to make sure you receive every new edition.